Please be seated. As we continue in worship, in the spirit of worship, we now focus on this month as we take a look at the persecuted church around the globe. And we're going to take a moment to uh, spend some time in prayer in this segment of our time together. And we have a couple of slides that we'll uh, put up. And uh, as the slide is put up, we're going to have you to pray with those who are next to you. And we have certain things we'll be praying for as we go through this time. But before we do, I'd like to have us to align ourselves with Scripture in regards to what to pray for. Because we know in a couple of our countries that will be highlighted this morning that uh, the persecution is severe to the point where it's life-threatening, even to the point of death. So it would be good for us to have a mindful of what God is at work doing. And that what he is doing is that he is at work through the persecution, through the suffering, and through the hard. He is sovereign over all things. And he uses the hard to uh, develop his purpose and his glory. So the first one is we pray for the country of Nepal. Pray for the Christians to persevere against the Hindu kingdom and extremes. In Jude 18, 19, it says, They said to you, apostles, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people, void of the Spirit. And Nepal, as they faced persecution, as they faced the, uh, the evil and the hardship because of the power of men, men who want to have their own uh, needs met, they uh, persecute the Christians in the process. So a couple of bullet points there. Pray for God's wisdom and protection upon Christian leaders and ministry workers in the country. Pray for the greater freedoms for Christians to be faithful to the Great Commission as it takes place there. And as you use that verse, we can use that verse to pray through, align ourselves to prayer and praying that God will do his work because of the, uh, the evil that's there, the, the division, the, the world of people, the void of the spirit, the void of God. So let's take a moment to pray for a little bit. Just pray with those who are next to you in your row. Uh, you can pray out loud, and uh, we'll just take a minute or so in each slide. Let's go ahead and pray. as we stay focused in Nepal. According to the long verses in regarding to conversion, conversion is banned in Nepal. Christian leaders often face harassment, detention by the authorities engaging in evangelism. Also, Christian organizations and ministries face challenges 
when they seek legal recognition and registration with the government. So I just pray specifically here that, that God would do his purpose and his work through the government there. His work that he wants to have take place with Christians, Christian organizations and ministries, that we pray that God would sustain those ministries. Let's just take a moment and pray for that specifically. Now we turn attention to Pakistan. We pray for God's protection over the new Christians in Pakistan. Around 4 million out of Pakistan's 2 million population identifies as Christian. Over 95% of the country's population are Muslims, Islamic extremists, and the demand source of protection in the country. In particular, converts from Islam face a very high threat of persecution. Christian girls also face with the risk of abduction and forcible marriage. Moreover, Pakistan's blasphemy laws have been a tool of oppression in the hands of extremists who have used it to target Christians. Further, Christians face the threat of attacks and Christians face discrimination in society, especially in the relationship and employment. This summer, we had an opportunity to hear from a brother that was from, from Pakistan. And because we're live streaming here, I can't use his name. But he did share with us the, uh, the intensity over there. And as we were asking questions, could the government help out? Can the law enforcement help out? And he says, no, they're just as corrupt. And so we just pray for the work that's taking place there. But there is a revival. There is a revival that's taken place there in Pakistan in regards to Muslim people trying to find information. And as they come to a place like a library that has Christian literature, they are discovering Jesus Christ in their reading. So we just pray that that would continue. Pray that the revival work there in literature as it goes out and as um, Muslims come to know Jesus Christ and as they grow discipleship, we pray for that. In Colossians chapter 4, Verses 2 through 3, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ in the account of which I am in prison. So again, let us align ourselves to the scripture. Let's pray through the scripture that God would be steadfast in his love, steadfast in answering through prayer, steadfast so that we can give thanksgiving and praise because of the work that he is doing there. A couple of points to pray for. Pray for the safety of young Christian girls and women who face persecution through forcible marriages. Pray for Christians who partner with local ministries that disciples convert from Islam. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, as we continue to pray for Pakistan, I just pray that as we move through the, uh, the coming months and years, uh, the relationship that we've connected with, uh, with this brother from Pakistan, that God, uh, we as a, a body of Christ here can uh, pray, can encourage, and I pray specifically for this uh, ministry uh, that they are carrying out, that when a, uh, a Muslim comes to know Jesus Christ, they are the most effective to disciple, but not only disciple, but also to share your word. And Father, we just pray that you give them steadfastness in that discipleship that's taking place, and that the word would go out in hard soil. We just pray for that in Jesus' name. As we continue to pray, we pray for Afghanistan. Christians face intense persecution in Afghanistan. We know this very well based upon what we've seen in the news. For instance, apostasy is a crime punishable by death in the country under Islamic law. Christians, therefore, do not reveal their faith in public. Moreover, there is no space for any room for Christian expression in the country since the group, such as the Taliban, maintain hard line to approach them. We also see quite a few Afghanistan people that have come into the States and pray for them. What a great opportunity for the church locally to be able to uh, minister to them. Pray that the world, that, pray that the word of God, the word of the Lord would spread in persecution. Second Thessalonians 3.1.2. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So we can pray through that passage in regards to Afghanistan. We notice that many are without faith, are wicked and evil in their deeds towards humanity. Pray that the groups such as the Taliban would experience change in their hearts and turn from oppressing non-Muslims. Pray for Christians to have access to resources and to be strengthened in their faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can pause and come before you, come before your sovereignty and know that you are at work. Even though the evil is so great to the point of death, the daily life, the hardships, the cruelty against humanity, God, you are in that. You move and work through that. Everything, Father, is under your control, under your purpose under your providence as people of faith fathers we believe in you and trust in you we can go to you as our rock 
as the horn of our salvation, as our refuge. And we pray, Father, for these believers that they would do that in the midst of their hardship. And Lord, I just pray for each and every one in this room here, Father, as we face hard things, as we face hardship, as we face loss, Lord, that we would too run to you and find faith in you and trust in you, that we would believe that you are our refuge and our strength. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we're going to have Howard come on up and read scripture for you. Morning. I'm Howard Ford, and I am now on the Elder Council. Who would have thunk it? But anyway, I'm going to read Romans 15, 22 through 33. For this, or excuse me, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey by you there. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service in their <clears throat> material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to, to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Thanks, Howard. All right, we're in Romans chapter 15. If you want to find that section of Scripture in your copy of the Scripture, we're going to be uh, going through that this morning as we continue in our study of uh, the book of Romans, Romans 15. There was a guy traveling one, one time and um, found himself going to an airport that was relatively small amid the small-sized city. And he had a, a layover in the airport that was overnight. So he was landing kind of late in the night, and his flight out of that airport wasn't until early the next morning. So he decided, as you and I might decide to do, he said, you know what I'll do is when I land, I'll just make my way to the gate and get comfy, maybe take a little bit of nap, and just wait till the next morning. There's no reason to go get a hotel for six hours. So he makes his way to the gate, sits down in the chair, gets as comfortable as you can if you've ever slept in an airport. That's, that's a challenge to do. And at midnight, a, an airport worker walks up to him, taps him on the shoulder and says, we're closing. He goes, I'm sorry, what? 
well, the airport's closing. We don't stay open all night. He didn't know this information. This was information that would have been helpful before he decided to stay overnight uh, in the airport. And he said, well, I, well what am I going to do? I got nowhere to go. And I don't know, don't know where you're going to go, but you're not going to stay here. Okay, so he gets all his belongings and he finds himself on the sidewalk in front of the airport. And now he doesn't know what he's going to do. And he, he thought, well, there's got to be a convenience station around here somewhere. So he kind of looked a couple of different ways on the road and he kind of picked the way that looked the most uh, convenient to try and find a, a convenience a store where, you know, buy a hot dog off the roller or something. Just pass the time. So he begins walking. He's looking and working his way through a neighborhood and and finally, uh, he comes on these buildings a little different. They look like houses and whatnot, but it doesn't look like a regular neighborhood. And he, he's lost. That's what it turns out. He's lost. And finally, he f- figures out where the front of this uh, little development is. And such and such minimum security prison. He's wandered onto the grounds of a minimum security prison. I don't know where, where the story goes from there. But here, what am I talking about? Sometimes things go from bad to worse to worse to worse. Sometimes when you think it couldn't get any worse, yeah, it does. Somehow, it does. What happens when all that can go wrong does? And that's where we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and the ministry of the gospel today. Is we're going to try and understand what happens when everything that could go wrong, in fact, does go wrong. And we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul in this passage as well as over in the book of Acts and show you what does it look like when somebody puts all of the right plans together, has all of the right things going for them, and none of it works the way it's supposed to. And so we're going to look at verses 22 through 29 and, then, and think about when all that can go wrong does because our good and noble plans are late or are delayed. What does it look like in the gospel when all that can go wrong does because what our, our good and noble plans that we've lined out, we've got some good plans that are good things, but they're not, they're not happening on time. And then in verses 30 through 33, we'll look at when all things that can go wrong do go wrong when our good and noble plans are completely ruined. So the first section is just when we've got good plans and they're running a little bit later than we want And then the last section we'll look at, well, what happens when the plans aren't just late? They're just completely ruined. So look at Romans chapter 15, verse 22. This is the reason why I have been hindered from coming to you. Hindered from coming to you. Paul wanted to visit the people of Rome, but he was constantly being delayed in being able to get to visit the people of Rome. And he didn't want to go to the people of Rome just to go on vacation. He didn't want to go there just to get away. He wanted to go there to do the work of the gospel, the ministry of the gospel, and what at that time was was the most powerful city uh, in the known world. And so his desire was a desire that was good. His desire was one that was for the benefit of the people of the Roman church. His desire was one to expand the ministry of the gospel around the world. And what we're going to discover here is even when we want the absolute best, most godly, most biblical thing, there can be things that will get in the way of that thing. In fact, even other good things will get in the way of that thing. So what does it mean when everything that can go wrong, when good and noble plans are delayed, when we have good things we want to do for the people in our lives or for the ministry of the church or the ministry of the gospel, And other good things get in the way. What is happening? God is still working. 
God is still working even when things are delayed. So what is the reason Paul was delayed from getting to visit the people in, the, in Rome? It's up in verse 19. He tells us, He has been working in the power of the Spirit from Jerusalem and all around to Illyricum to fulfill the ministry of the gospel. The reason he couldn't go to Rome is he had a ministry assignment to accomplish in all of these different cities that he was visiting, and he couldn't in good conscience go to Rome until this ministry uh, what is, was accomplished. But verse 23 tells us some exciting news. But now I no longer have any room to work in these regions. He says, I'm done working here. So it looks like it's going to be time for me to come visit you uh, in Rome. In fact, he says at the end of verse 23, I have longed for many years to come visit you. And so now he lays out his good and noble ministry plans. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. He says, listen, I've done all the work I can do in this, in this region, so I'm going to come to Rome. I'm going to spend some time there. I'm going to be refreshed by you. I'm going to ask you for money and supplies and people. He's not bashful about it. And then I'm going to go to Spain, and I'm going to share the gospel with the people in Spain. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that good? It is. This is fantastic. He's He's on mission, ministry of the gospel, looking for pioneering areas where he can take the gospel. And certainly God would, would never get in the way of that happening, would he? Well, you know God like I do. You've read your Bible and you've lived your life. You know he always has an interesting way of getting things done. I am still waiting for him to check with me on his plans. Thank the Lord he doesn't, and he does his own thing. So his desire has been de delayed, but now, but now his work is done, and, and it's exciting now. The next stage of Paul's ministry is about to take off. However, verse 25 adds a little bit of a... But, well, maybe this one little thing. Look at verse 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem. So I've got these plans. It looks like... But, but this little project has come up that I need to work on. I'm going to go to Jerusalem because I want to bring some aid to the saints there. In fact, he says the Macedonian believers and the believers in Achaia, they have been pleased to take a collection to contribute to the needs of the people who were in Jerusalem. In fact, they were excited to take a collection because they owed their very spiritual heritage to the Jews, the Christian believe, the Jews in Jerusalem. So these Gentile believers throughout the world said, you know what, we wouldn't know about Jesus if the Jews who believed Jesus hadn't sent missionaries to us. And now that we know that some of them are impoverished, it's our moral obligation to reciprocate. They've given us, by the gospel, our very spiritual lives. We can spare a few bucks to make sure that they've got a meal this evening. And so what Paul is going to do is he is going to be making sure this ministry of service to the Jews is in Jerusalem is accomplished. And so now there is a, a delay. I'll be there in just a minute, but I've got this job to do. I've got to go down to Jerusalem and drop off this financial aid for the, the Jews in Jerusalem. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Here's what Paul says to the believers in Corinth. He would, might have been writing the book of Romans from the, from the city of Corinth, but he says this to the believers in Corinth, and we're talking specifically about the way the Macedonian and Gentile believers were working to provide 
for the needs of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he, as he may prosper, so that way there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Verse 4, if it seems advisable that I should go, they will accompany me. If it seems advisable that I should go, they will accompany me. What do we know now that we've been in the book of Romans? It seems advisable. So we, we get this hint in 1 Corinthians that, you know, let's get this handled. Uh, he, he gives some logistical stuff for raising support. Listen, get all your collecting done. And first day of each week, evaluate how God has prospered you in your business and determine based on your, uh, how God has worked in your life that you might set a little bit aside for the Jerusalem believers. So when I get there, it's all done. Uh, give some letters of recommendation for some guys who will carry this. Uh, need to be trustworthy people and, and people who also... Looks scary enough to keep bandits away. This is a large sum of money. They, they can't deposit it and withdraw it. They've got to actually carry the cash. And so uh, do all this. Make sure it's all collected. And then when I get there, if it seems advisable, I, I guess I could go with them. What's, in the, what's he thinking in the back of, the, of his mind? I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I want to go to Spain. I've been to Jerusalem lots of times. I want to go to Spain. That's where the action is. That's where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed yet. That's where the, the pioneering ministry is. And that was where the Apostle Paul was called to minister. But it seems at some point somebody said, you know what, Paul? I think you ought to go. What does he say? Well, I guess my ministry hopes are just delayed. They're just delayed. There, he gives us a little bit more information about this uh, ministry to the believers in 2 Corinthians Chapter 8. Now, 2 Corinthians gives us a lot of information about this collection that was taken for the believers in Jerusalem. In fact, it's two whole chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're not going to be covering all both those chapters this morning. You're welcome. There's no thank yous whatsoever. That's your homework assignment. Go home and read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Here's what he says regarding this support that was being provided. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Remember, it's the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 15, it was the churches of Macedonia that initiated the support to Jerusalem. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, in fact, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. He is putting a little bit of pressure on the believers in Corinth. He says, listen, the believers in Macedonia, in their poverty, because of their deep love of Jesus, want to provide assistance to the believers who are in Jerusalem. 
the people, the church in Corinth is not impoverished. They are a church of uh, means. They're a church of wealth and uh, intellectualism and cultural sophistication. And he is saying this, the Macedonian believers are hitting a home run. Why don't you also seek to excel in this ministry of grace just as the believers from Macedonia are? What would you think? We were praying this morning for persecuted churches in Nepal and Pakistan and Afghanistan. What if? Wouldn't this be weird? Wouldn't it be weird if all of a sudden we got a check from a church in Pakistan for our fireside room project? What would we, wouldn't we be embarrassed? Would it wouldn't be, why, first of all, the question is, why would we be embarrassed? Because we're American Christians. We're awesome. Everybody else is trying to catch up. I'm being sarcastic. There's no sarcasm sign yet on my being a little sarcastic. But that's what's happening in Macedonia. These little impoverished Christians are sending money to the church in Jerusalem saying, hey, maybe this will help out. And, and Paul is a little bit concerned because he's got a lot of relational conflict happening. The Macedonian churches have, have scraped together a generous offering and the Corinthian churches are scraping together a not-so-generous offering from their their means. And now, as we're going to read in Romans, he's a little bit concerned of how the church in Jerusalem will accept it. And all this is happening where, in the back of his mind, he's dealing with an offering and a wealthy church and a poor church, and then a church in Jerusalem. Are they going to actually accept this gift? And what's going on in the back of his mind? I want to go to Spain. I don't want to be messing with this logistical nightmare, dealing with people. And, and heaven forbid, money? You want to get people riled up, you start bringing up money, right? And this is what he finds himself doing, it challenging people spiritually, Christians spiritually, to support one another in love, that they might reciprocate the generosity of the Jerusalem believers to them. And all of this means I'm not in Spain yet. Back to Romans chapter 15. Here's his hope. He lays out his plans, his now delayed plans. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you, and I know that when I come to you, I will come in fullness of the blessing of Christ. So here's his hope. He said, listen, I've wanted to come there for a whole lot of years, and now the time has finally come, and now it's delayed some more. But I hope, after I drop this collection off Jerusalem, high five, see you later, heading out, I will come to you in the hope of the gospel. I will be there soon, and I will be there with joy. I just have to get through this. I love how he says this at the end. I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I don't know if you've ever had something at the end of your week or something coming up that you're dreading. And you say, that's okay. Once that's over, it'll be behind me. And you start thinking about what's beyond that thing. You got a dental appointment or a medical procedure or uh, the holidays. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know. So you say, once I get past this meeting, once I get past this, uh, this conflict, once I get past this appointment, oh, that'll be great. Because once on the other side of that is, it'll all be done. It'll be behind me, right? That, look what he's saying. Is, I, I know when I come to you, I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ because all of these delays finally behind me, and I'm headed to where I'm called to go. The work of the ministry in Rome and the work of the ministry uh, in Spain by way of their loving 
support. One thing before we get to the second half of this passage, Paul, from a, from a human perspective, from a, maybe just a merely human perspective, he could have gone to Rome whenever he wanted. I mean, he's likely writing from the city of Corinth. I, I mean, they're traveling in Rome, especially as a Roman citizen. It, it, it's just a matter of saying, you know what, I'm just going to go. I'm just, it, this is more about than just what Paul desired. The point was he understood he wanted something good, but the important thing was that God's will was done. God's purpose was done. And he wasn't going to seek out that, that good thing that he wanted in the absence of God's will being done. The other thing Paul understands about God's will is it always gets done. And I think Paul, like many of us, the longer we've lived, we've learned life is a little bit simpler when we get on board what God is doing versus kicking and screaming all of the time, maybe reducing that to just some of the time. That God's going to get his will done. His thing is always done. The question is whether or not we will jump on board. A young man down in the south, his name was Jermaine. His family had planned to go to Walt Disney World for his birthday, and they had set aside funds for this birthday trip. And then uh, a hurricane struck. Apparently, Florida gets hurricanes? I had no idea. Um, and so their trip was going to have to be delayed and postponed. And then Jermaine goes to his parents, and he says this. This is fantastic. This is a feel-good story for you this morning. He says, you know what? All these people are evacuating from the hurricane to our town. Why don't we take the funds that we had set aside for our trip and set up a place where people can have dinner? And so they do just that. So they set up a place so the people who have been evacuated for the weekend or for the week, uh, and they set up a, a tent in their front yard, and he just starts boiling hot dogs. And, and they spend every penny they had set aside for Walt Disney World. He couldn't go there anyway. It was raining. And they set aside every penny they had for this trip, and they bought enough hot dogs. That's a lot of hot dogs. But they, but they got rid of them all. All of them got eaten. So this is the idea of what Paul was understanding. Listen, I got this trip planned. I know how I'm going to get it. I know, I know how it's going to get paid for. But God now has said he's doing this thing. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I may as well just get on board. Might as well just get on board of what's happening now and seeing where the will of God is is going to take me because God's will is going to be done. The question is, are we going to fight against it or just say, okay, I see where God's going. It's time to get on board. Paul could have gone to Rome whenever he wanted, but he knew the ministry of the gospel was more important. Let's look at the last few verses of Romans 15. Up to this point, Paul's hopes have only been on hold, been sort of on delay, but as we're about to see, his plans are about to completely unravel and go from delayed to totally ruined. Delay is the least of his concerns, as we shall soon see. And this reminds me of a story, a guy named Jim, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, a number, number of other guys had decided to reach uh, some native um, folks in Ecuador. You know the story, Tip of the Spear, you've seen the movie, you read the stories. So they go down there, they, have all right, they had all the right plans. They developed some pretty incredible technology. They had figured out a way to drop gifts from a fixed-wing aircraft. Okay, just think through this. You're in an airplane and you've got a bucket with stuff. How are you going to make it so that bucket doesn't get destroyed when it hits the ground? You could do that with a helicopter, but Ericsson wasn't in business then. 
Somebody, I can't remember which, which guy figured it out. If you got a really long enough rope and you flew that airplane in a circle, pretty soon you could get that bucket and you, they could drop it on time. And, and they could drop that bucket standing up. So that way, the gift that they were given wasn't destroyed. So they gave gifts. They found a place they could land. Oh, my lands, where they were landing. Um, they did everything right, had all the right tech, had all the right research, had, all, had it dialed in, and then they were landing, and then they were communicating, and then one day, they were all dead. Plans completely, what? Ruined. So obviously, God can't work there, right? No, of course not. Many of the people who participated in the attack of the missionaries are now believers. So what happens when everything that can go wrong does and our plans aren't merely delayed, they are completely ruined. God is still at work. Paul here we're going to discover, he prayed all the right prayers, he made all the right plans, he had all the right motives, and yet he was still arrested and his life was only spared by being confined to prison by the Roman authorities. Look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. What does he need them to pray for? He needs them to pray for his safety and the ministry he's on in Jerusalem. And look at the word here. He says, strive together with me in your prayers. What that word makes me think of is Jacob wrestling with the angel of God. I will not let you go till you bless me. Now, We've prayed these kinds of prayers before. We've often prayed these kinds of prayers before. Usually it's when ourselves or somebody we know is ill or in dire circumstances, we will strive with the Lord and say, I will not let you go, Lord, until I know you have heard me on this. And Paul is asking for those kinds of prayers from his uh, partners in ministry in Rome as he makes his way to Jerusalem. I need you to wrestle with God for me in the love of the Spirit for God to do his work as I go to Jerusalem. I need a particular outcome. So here's Paul in humility recognizing he can't do the work. Here's Paul wanting the work of the gospel done in Jerusalem and Spain. And here's Paul asking for prayer support. Verse 31 and 32, look at it. That I might be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. Did he have any in enemies in Jerusalem? couple. And secondly, that my service for the Jerusalem, for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So that by God's will, I may come to you refreshed and enjoy your company. So he's saying, pray for me. I got a lot of enemies and my, my life is at risk here. Secondly, pray that when we deliver this gift to the saints in Jerusalem, it will be accepted and they will be pleased by it and it will convey the message that we want them to, to receive. How did God answer those prayers? Let's look at the first one, Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Paul says this, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. His, their prayers were answered. They didn't feel condescended to. They didn't feel like the gift was an insult. They didn't feel any of that. They were received gladly by the brothers in Jerusalem. So God answers prayer. Secondly, how about deliverance from his enemies? God also answers that prayer in Acts 21, beginning in verse 27. I'm going to read it. I think we'll have 33 up on the screen, but we'll get to that in a minute. 
The Jews from Asia, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and, and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. He hadn't. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested who? Him. And ordered him to be bound with two chains and inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn of the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people followed, crying, away with him. So he had sought the prayers of the people of Rome that his life might be delivered from his enemies. And guess what? Prayers answered. He was rescued by the centurions. Yay, Roman centurions. Who was bound in chains? Not the mob. The guy getting beat up. And he was arrested. Acts 23, verse 12. It got worse. When it was day, the Jews made a plot. They bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Great. Luckily, this plot was exposed by someone related to Paul, and they explained it to the centurion, and the centurions moved him to another location, once again, sparing his life by keeping him in custody as a political prisoner. Acts chapter 24, verse 27. When two years had elapsed, what? Two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Two years have gone by. Paul is a political prisoner. He's in jail for doing nothing other than worshiping in the temple. And he is being held just to keep the Jews happy by the Roman authorities. His plans are no longer delayed, are they? They're just gone. They're just, these are just ruined. No hearing. Political prisoner. He had occasion to share the gospel a few times during that time, but he's not getting released. Acts 28. We won't go through the whole thing. Acts 28. If you get bored reading the Bible, just read Acts 28. That's good. They should make a movie on just Acts 28. Fantastic. God answers his prayer. He finds himself on a ship. He had appealed to Caesar, and they're going to send him to Rome. And uh, finds himself on a ship, and long story short, that ship 
finds itself in the middle of a storm. It's being drugged along. They've abandoned all of their tackle. They've abandoned all of their food. They don't see sun or moon for several weeks. They assume that ship is going to sink in the middle of the Mediterranean. They will be never heard from again. The ship is washed ashore on Malta. They find a falcon. No, I'm kidding. That, some of you won't get that. That, that. Probably too old. The young guy. What? Google it. Washed ashore. Everybody survives while building a fire. A viper bites his hand. He shakes it off into the fire and his good friends on the ship, as the Bible tells us, a memory verse in Awana, they sat and watched to see if he would swell up and die. He doesn't, by God's grace, he doesn't swell up and die. He then heals a number of people on Malta. They're provided supplies and they spend a number of months there. And this is where we pick it up. In Acts chapter 28, verse 11, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with twin gods as figurehead. Putting it at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and, and on the second day, we came to Putioli, Ravioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for a week, and, and here it is. And so we came to Rome. Fine. Can you believe it? I mean, fine. I mean he, this guy's been through a lot. And so we came to Rome. And the, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the Forum of Appius and, and three taverns to meet us. Well, now we know why they traveled so far. The three taverns are there. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Who took courage? Paul. Oh, you thought he was just, he never got weak. I mean, he needed, he took courage. Oh, he made it. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay with himself and a, and a soldier guarded him. We came to Rome, called to brothers, and he took courage. We made it. All, all our plans were completely and totally ruined. He, I mean, just there were, there, this is uncharted territory, literally uncharted territory in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Here's what's interesting. Look how the book of Acts ends. Acts chapter 28, 30 and 31. He lived two whole years at his own expense. Oh, thank you very much. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and, listen, without hindrance. What does Romans 15, 22 say? Look it up in your copy of the scripture, Romans 15, 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Now he's preaching in Rome under house arrest, and living at his own expense in prison. Wouldn't that be great? Jailed as a political prisoner at the end of every month. You got a bill for your food and lodging. And how does he describe the ministry of the gospel in those situations? Two years of preaching with no hindrance. A couple of things before we take communion together. The book of Acts, if you've read it, have you read it? If you haven't, go ahead and do it. It's 28 chapters, it might take you a half hour, maybe an hour. It's a book of hindrances. It's one long book of things getting in the way of the gospel. 
isn't it? It's, it's a nonstop list of how people... Acts chapter 7, Stephen is killed. James is killed. A great persecution breaks out. It's a nonstop catalog of people seeking to minister of the gospel, and we might describe it as a book of hindrances. How does this book end? There's no hindrance. Paul imprisoned as a political prisoner living at his own expense and the author of acts who was traveling with him describes it as the gospel going out with no hindrances because nothing hinders the purposes of god nothing hinders the purposes of god now our plans they will be delayed they will be hindered and they will be ruined how often i don't know but my i'm I'm relatively young compared to some and relatively old compared to others. And I can tell you from the bitter road that I've walked down, it happens more than you might expect. Our plans will be delayed. Our plans will be changed. Our plans will, in fact, be ruined. Will God's plan to proclaim the gospel be hindered? Zero hindrances. God's gospel is always proclaimed. We might wonder, instead, since his work isn't, procla- isn't hindered, where's our part? When are we going to get on board? When we think about those delays, when, when even good things get in the way of what God is doing, we have to understand, God is never delayed. That's that great line from Lord of the Rings when Gandalf walks in and he says, a wizard always re- arrives precisely when he means to. God is never delayed. God is always exactly on time. His will His work is always being done. And what we see as a delay and hindrance is just merely us evaluating God's work based on our timetable. But God's work is is always done. We might even say it this way. It is good for our stuff to be delayed so that God's stuff can be done. Secondly, our plans being ruined. The story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's most uh, glorious work of redeeming all of our ruins. God is most glorified to redeem ruined people, failed people, people who are enemies, people who are lost in their sin and rebellion. God is working to fix the ruin of mankind through the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. That's the story. This is what's funny. We're saved from ruin, and then we want to live a life not characterized by ruin. But that's where God works most profoundly. Most glory is gained by God when he redeems people out of the ruins of their sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And God continues that pattern of work even in our lives as believers by doing glorious things in the midst of what we might describe as ruin. God's redemption through Jesus is where he gains most glory. We might say that Jesus' mission was ruined. Peter, in fact, even told Jesus that to his face. Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die there and be raised from the dead. And Peter said, no way, bro. Something like that, I think in the Greek, in the Aramaic. And Jesus says something very polite to him. Get behind me, Satan. That elevated quickly. No, Jesus, um, the plan is for me to go to Jerusalem and be ruined. And three days later, I will raise from the dead, because you can't keep God dead. And I will restore everything that is 
ruin. Jesus is the one who redeems us from the ruin of our sin through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the way in which we receive that is by trusting him. Trusting and believing that he will, in fact, give us forgiveness of our sin when we trust him to save us through the power of his life. We're going to take communion together with that in mind. Let's begin by, first of all, opening our elements so that way we uh, have that done. I always recommend doing the bread first, which is on the uh, bottom, and then open the uh, juice part. What I'm going to do is I want to um, provide us a moment just on our own to seek the Lord with whatever he's prompting in our hearts in this moment. For us to have a quiet time of prayer to seek the Lord in thankfulness or if there are things in your life that you know reflect brokenness and sin, this is an opportunity to come before the Lord in confession and repentance. So what I'm going to do is just give a, a few minutes of quiet for you to pray and seek the Lord on your own. At the end of that, I will close that with a prayer of thankfulness for the bread. We'll read a portion of scripture, we'll eat the bread together, and then we'll have a prayer of thanks for the cup, read some scripture, and drink the cup together. Let's begin our time of worship by seeking the Lord in prayer quietly. God, we thank you for being here with us today by the work of Christ and the power of the Spirit. We thank you, God, that through the work of Jesus, the ruin we caused is redeemed. The ruin really that began in the Garden of Eden. We thank you, God, that you did not see fit to leave us in our state, but instead, for your own glory, you sent Jesus to die for us pay the penalty for our sin, take the punishment that we deserved, and to raise from the dead that those who are in Christ by faith have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. We thank you, God, for this bread, which is a symbol of Jesus' broken body. He bore on himself the punishment that we deserve. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. Jesus, we also thank you for this cup, which is a symbol of your shed blood. And your word tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We thank you, God, that you offer us forgiveness for all the sins we have ever done or ever will do, and we look forward to a time in glory 
where we will no longer be weighed down with the temptation and reality of ongoing sin. We thank you that it's because of the blood of Jesus we have access to the throne room of God to boldly come to you in prayer and enjoy your presence. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup together. God, we thank you for your grace through Jesus. We can't wait till we get to see you. Come soon, Lord. Amen. Why don't you stand up with us as we sing together?